Welcome to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Each and every podcast, hosts Mike Niemer and Greg Frank will bring you energy experts to help you better understand the renewable and sustainability space. Education is important to us because it's important to you, the listener. Now here's Mike Niemer and Greg Frank. It is another edition of the Green Insider, powered by E Renewable. My name is Greg Frank. We're going to get to myself and Mike Niemer along with our guest in just a minute. But as always, we like to check in with Mike's better half. Ann Niemer has a few words for us. And so let's hear from Ann to get things started here on this episode. Ann Niemer here, COO of E Renewable. We know today whether you're a public company, private equity, or a privately held company, ESG and sustainability are important to your company. At eRenewable, we can help you achieve some of those goals. If you have any questions or need any assistance with regards to reaching your sustainability goals, please visit us at eRenewable.com to learn more. As always, thank you for listening to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. And we welcome you into episode 194 of The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable, alongside Mike Niemer. My name is Greg Frank, as we're about to get to our guest in just a second. But, Mike, it's always good to see you in studio. How are you? I'm good. Welcome back from the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. It was another good trip. My dad, I know you're a little jealous of that. So I am. It's it good to do it again. Yeah, so. son and father getting to do that every year. I think that's terrific. And as I always tell you, keep that up. And even when you have kids, you Yeah, no, I can't believe it. I've been doing it like half my life now. So, so. hope to keep doing it. But That's great. Anyway, let's get to our guest now. He is John Berger, founder and CEO at Sun Nova Energy International. John, good to see you. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm great. Absolutely. So uh, give us a little bit of your background and kind of uh, what drew you to the renewable energy sustainable space and just kind of how you got your start. Yeah, certainly. I've been, I've been in the power business now for over a quarter of a century, which hurts to say, but uh, <laughs> yes, I am that old. And uh, uh, grew up in Bryan, uh, Texas, right down the road and went to Texas A&M University, under, undergraduate. Uh, got into the power business right away after graduating there and uh, really have done everything from trading power, uh, been in the utility control room and uh, did some venture capital investing. And this is my third solar company, obviously the by far the biggest and, and longest in, in tenure, but uh, uh, really just felt like uh, at, you know sitting at way back in the 90s, another dated uh, mm-hmm. mention, uh, is that you know this, the energy system globally had to change uh, for a variety of reasons. And Really, uh, the existing system is very um, archaic uh, and built for the industrial age and and all the way down to details that most folks don't even really talk about. uh, We're digitizing, uh, essentially, and and solid-state technologies are coming about like solar, like batteries and so forth are going to change the energy business and not just for stationary but for transportation as well so that got me excited wanted to see what kind of new business models and what was going to happen how do you how do you make that transformation how do you uh, build a company uh, that would lead that transformation or be one of the leaders in that transformation and here we are yeah and, and when you talk about all of your experience there i'm just wondering from an educational standpoint how much over the last two three decades did you learn i mean when did that light bulb go off where you realized like this was your calling well, I actually thought I was going in the oil and gas business when I got at A&M and, and uh, I got directed into the power business. That was certainly by chance. Uh, and, and, and then from there, it just, it, again, had a gut feel that it, something was going to have big happen in the energy business. It was going to really uh, reside in power and uh, just kept going with it and just trying to find uh, the right you know technology. So way back after I got out of uh, business school um, out of Boston – 
Uh, I was looking for the new, te- you know, what technologies are going to work. Is it going to be, you know, biomass? Is it going to be uh, solar? Is it going to be wind and and batteries and fuel cells and all this other stuff that we, you know, everybody's still talking about today? And and really zeroed in on it, it's going to be solar, it's going to be batteries, and it's going to be a lot of the other software and some hardware technologies to manage demand and so forth. Um, and and uh, felt like, okay, well, here's the path forward. How do you think about that? How's the business model going to change from the, the existing centralized, uh, monopolistic, uh, socialistic system that we have? How do you bring capitalism? How do you bring consumer choice into it and really uh, change the whole uh, energy business and not just for the United States, for the entire world? And so, uh, you know, again, uh, that's where Sonova came from was the idea about how to lead uh, or at least be a part of, uh, of leading that effort. Well, John, welcome back to the show. Uh, last time you were here, believe it or not, was t- almost two years ago, episode 62. Now we're at 194, so uh, it's been a while. It's been too long, actually, since we've been able to sit down and talk in front of a microphone. So I'm glad to have you back. And Glad to be back. Well, thank you so much. It's funny, as, as you guys got off the elevator and I said, guess what? I was just looking at my news feed, and I see Sonova in the news with regards to uh, Puerto Rico. Yes. Tell us about yeah. that. Well, we're celebrating uh, 10 years in Puerto Rico, actually, this year. And uh, we we basically built the market. Uh, obviously, we had a lot of help from our, our uh, valued dealers down there. And uh, we have a lot of employees in Puerto Rico and, and certainly worked with the uh, uh, various different governments over the years down in Puerto Rico. But um, we're, we're by far the largest service provider, uh, energy as a service provider down there, by far. No one's even close to us, holds a candle to us. And when you look at uh, what we are offering up is the ability to take what's now, you know, upwards of past 55,000 customers with batteries, uh, you know, over 700 megawatt hours. And how do we utilize these assets to stabilize a very unstable grid system down there to provide power and a lot of power in a, in a place that needs a lot of power? Uh, the fossil generation has been very uh, unstable, uh, unreliable. It's obviously dirty with the oil fire generation and so forth. So you got a clear environmental consideration, but there's a better way of doing it. And the exciting thing is we already have all these assets and more of these assets are showing up every day because our growth is, is, is really exploding down there even further. So we're offering saying, hey, how about we are uh, we could take this battery capacity and push it into the grid at the right times uh, during the afternoon when it's needed in the peak and so forth. And uh, I'm quite optimistic that uh, there's going to be something that's going to be worked out there that makes sense for everybody. Well, that's just terrific. And, you know, I've also seen you guys in the news with regards to virtual power plants. So tell us about, tell the listeners, at first tell the listeners, what a virtual power plant actually is, then let us know how Sonova is participating in that market. Well, virtual power plant is exactly what we just talked about with Puerto Rico. Uh, and uh, what, it, what it is, and, it's, and look, there's a lot of different names for it. So there's virtual power plant. Um, there is the slang uh, acronym VPP, which you hear probably a lot. Grid services, energy services from our perspective. So what does all that mean? Uh, and there's some other uh, names that some, some folks use as well. It basically is about taking assets behind the meter on your home, for instance, and integrating through aggregation of a bunch of different homes and businesses, the energy and the types of energy. It could be capacity. It could be ancillary services, which basically is grid stability is the way to think about it. And then 
selling that back into the wholesale system or grid. There's many names for that, utility system and so forth. And and that's basically what it's all about. So the way, maybe an easier way to think about it is think about the Internet. We got big data centers. Those are your centralized generators that could be a big solar farm, could be a big coal plant. And then we've got all the little uh, phones that everybody's got in their hands right now and so forth and, and iPads and so forth. And all that together is, is working on the Internet to basically uh, have uh, telecommunications or communications work and function. So some of that's centralized, some of that's distributed. Even get into uh, the uh, communication mediums themselves, some of that's cellular, some of that's fixed line, right? Uh, and, and when you look at the power business and the new energy business of what we see, it basically looks is going to look like the Internet. It's going to have some devices that are really small, powerful, but so-called behind the meter, uh, wireless. And then it's going to have some of the old line centralized resources. Maybe, again, they're a solar farm. Maybe uh, they're a battery, big battery. Maybe it's a coal plant. Maybe it's a gas plant. But all that's coming together to, to enable a service that's more reliable, cheaper, and cleaner. So you run through a lot of the educational elements there, but I wonder internally at Snova when there is a newer initiative or something that uh, a, a broader horizon that you want to reach. Like, what's it like in terms of educating your staff and and just some of that you know mechanical stuff, getting everybody on the same page. Tell us a little bit about your staff and what you guys do on a daily basis. Well, it, it, we've got a quite large staff at this point in time. The company's grown quite uh, quite big and and is continuing to get. Uh, uh, fairly big. I mean, we're, we're one of the largest power companies in the United States at this point in time, and and, and therefore in the world. Uh, now, there's still some, you know, bigger companies out there, but the, the power business in the United States is actually pretty fragmented. So we're bigger now than the vast majority of the utilities in the United States. I mean, the vast majority. It's probably over 85% of them. So that's uh, something to think about, and that's pretty interesting uh, note. And so we also span a lot of the regions across the country. So we, we have customers from near Japan and Guam and Saipan all the way into Puerto Rico from Texas to Maine. And so that wide geography where you got folks uh, spread out all over the place, particularly these days from work from anywhere, uh, which we have embraced as much as we could. Uh, you know, for instance, I can't work from anywhere. I got to be in the office uh, in, in, if I'm not on the road. But what we do is we've got certain groups that are responsible for certain pieces of the business. So it could be, you know, origination. It could be setting uh, new products and putting those together and getting the rest of the company ready to launch those new products. It could be, uh, you know, uh, folks that are testing hardware. We've got a new uh, testing facility we're about to open up off uh, I-10 here in Houston. We're testing some hardware. So there's a lot of different groups that come together. Uh, we just uh, hired somebody to focus on mobility. We've got um, uh, energy services, going back to VPP, grid right. services and all that. We have a new, uh, uh, a new uh, senior executive starting on Monday that's going to take that over and take uh, energy services to a whole new level. So how do you really think about integration of behind the meter, in front of the meter, and make that happen and in, in, in a way that makes more financial sense and physical security sense for the entire grid systems in the United States, we got somebody that's coming in to do just that. So there's a lot of different areas of the company that we're, we're involved in, and, and uh, it's pretty clear that we're, uh, you know, we've gotten into business markets uh, just a, a year ago. It's pretty clear we're pretty uh, aggressive as far as we, we have a great vision. We know what we want to be. We know who we are. We know who we're not. 
and we're getting after it and making a, what we want to be is the biggest energy ser- as a service provider in the entire world. Well, first I want to say congratulations. You should be very proud about what you built. Not all entrepreneurs can stand up and say what you just did because of that success. It's a low percentage reach it. Congratulations. And again, thank you for joining us on the show. When you were on episode 62, I remember the story about, uh, I think we asked you about your wife and you being an entrepreneur or something. And you, you went into kind of the mechanics of how there was one point she said, are you going to get a job? Well, <laughs> you said, well, guys that offered me jobs said you wouldn't like it. It's too, but you're too rigid here. You're more of an entrepreneur. And now you, you proved that they were right, right? That, that is what you are. So congratulations, John. Thank so, you. I think I, I had a lot of help. And, and just to answer the question, I think you were trying to ask is, are we still married? Yes. <laughs> Celebrating 23 years in two days. So congratulations. High five on that. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so you also mentioned it a little bit ago to Greg's question about utilities. You know, I keep seeing uh, news articles and I keep hearing people talk about distributed generation versus the utilities. Educate the listeners, please, on kind of the difference and what people are talking about in the marketplace when you hear those words. Yeah, you know, there's uh, even folks that uh, in, in, in Houston that uh, have life, you know, lifers in the oil and gas business don't understand the fundamentals of the power business in the United States. Uh, the power business in the United States is a socialistic, communistic system. There is no competition. The utilities are monopolies by nature. And Houston, Dallas has a little bit uh, well, better structure because the poles and wires are the monopoly, and then you can compete for customers, compete for generation. Uh, so that's a that's light years better than the vast majority of the rest of the country. Uh, and so what happens here is is that the utilities uh, commit predatory behavior. They hate competition, and and I think we all understand that. If you had a monopoly, that just by the way, the more money you spent, the more money you make. I mean, we could all be billionaires by the time this calls over, uh, this podcast <laughs> is over. If that we had that model, right? And and then and then you get to take that money and pay politicians off to keep you getting even more money. I mean, that's great. I mean, it, it's amazing how that's still legal it, yeah, out there. And there's a growing number of states. Colorado took the initiative to ban. Uh, that kind of uh, uh, revolving door of money uh, from the utilities and the regulators. And we see a, 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 a tidal wave coming across the United States saying, wait a minute, time out. Uh, what are we doing this for? We're doing it for the people. Why don't we protect the people like we do in every, everywhere else? I mean, look at the Supreme Court uh, controversy and so forth. And, and when you look at the whole entire space, we are the biggest threat to the utilities. Because they cannot, by law, go across the meter. Now, why is that? Because they were doing that after World War II, and uh, a lot of the state legislatures, really all of them, were alarmed at the uh, rapid socialization of the U.S. economy. Everything that used power, they felt like they could be in it and own it. Uh, this is why you have uh, some utilities to this day. The holding company are, are housing developers of all things. Like, what? I don't understand that. But it's they got into a lot of different things. And they have a low-cost cost, uh, cost of capital that they use because the government gave it to them. Because in many ways, it is the government. Go down to Austin and San Antonio, for instance. The city literally owns the utility there. And so when when you look at what they're trying to do is, I think we can all understand it, they're trying to protect their monopoly. They love the fact that they don't have any competition. They love the fact that they can just keep jacking rates up, even despite natural gas prices crashing the floor to the point where a lot of oil and gas firms can't even make money at natural gas anymore, fracking it. 
That is. And so when when we're out there trying to push back and say, wait a minute, um, why don't you, if you don't want to do net metering, where you basically give the power for free during the day and take it back for free at night, they don't like that. I said, okay, fine. We should probably pay a small fee. They just like to eradicate it like they did in California recently. Okay, that's fine. Um, we'll put batteries everywhere. Um, hey, uh, why don't we just open this whole market up? Why don't we just let everybody have choice? So we're on the side of capitalism. We're on the side of consumers, and they don't like that because that's that takes a lot of money away from them. That's going to change their world. They don't like change. They don't like innovation. So we're talking about innovating, changing the energy business, not just here but the rest of the world, and you're, you've got the utilities standing in the way of that. So you want to decarbonize faster, get the, get the utilities out of the way. You want to get the power rates down faster, get the utilities out of the way. You want to get the reliability up faster, get the utilities out of the way. Not all of them are that bad, but most of them are. And so you can see where we are, we're coming at this from not unlike, going back to the telecommunications example, remember MCI versus AT&T. We're MCI, the utilities are AT&T. We're coming in trying to bring new technology. In that case, it was cellular telephony. And we're out there saying, oh, wait a minute. We should be able to compete with new technology, new services, and we should go out there and earn the business from the consumers. And therefore, the consumers get the better uh, benefit of the bargain. That's all we're trying to do. That's all we're trying to do. Well, you know, the biggest difference between the long-distance deregulation on the phone lines that you're talking about versus the retail power, they got it in all 50 states. We only have, what, 15 states, 16 states, maybe at the most. At for, best. At, at, at best. Because they're yeah. not always fully uh, yeah, it, regulated. Exactly. Right? They're not and as good as Houston, Dallas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you also talk about the muni-owned utilities. I remember the last numbers I saw. It's right around 550 of them across the United States are municipally owned utilities, exactly what you're talking about. So we do have room to improve. Do we want to get through that energy transition faster? Do we want to become more efficient all the way around? We do have to have something happen to these utilities to be able to do that. Freedom. Let's let the market speak. Let's, let's let everybody, everybody can get the same investment tax credits, utilities, us, everybody gets the same. And really, these subsidies are a way of pricing carbon. You can argue that that wasn't the, the way you'd want to do it, but it, you know, and I would have agreed with you. But in terms of the sub federal subsidies with the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, is what I'm referring to. It is what it is. It's been done. Let's move on. But just to be clear about it, the utilities can get those same subsidies as we can. So that that playing field's level. Now let's level the rest of the playing field and say we could, listen, we should all have to earn the consumer, the homeowner's business, and the business owner's business. That's America. That is American, and that is John Berger, CEO of Sonova Energy. John, so much. Thank you again for joining us on the show again. Thanks for having me. All right, again, for John Berger, alongside Mike Niemer, my name is Greg Frank. This has been episode 194 of the Green Insider, powered by E-Renewable. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast, wherever you get your podcast from, and leave us a five-star rating because, as the saying goes, you learn something new every day, and we were responsible for today's lesson. Again, he's Mike Niemer. I'm Greg Frank. Everybody enjoy the rest of your days, and we'll talk to you on episode 195.